Hi fellow tennis nerds, in this episode of the Tennis Nerd Podcast, I talk to Nathan Martin, founder of Martin Method Tennis Fitness and alongside his wife Giselle, he's been the fitness trainer of players such as Leighton Hewitt, Sam Stoser, Martina Navratilova, Monica Seles and Svetlana Kuznetsova. Nathan and Giselle are based in Bondi in Sydney, where they work with players of all levels through online courses at tennisfitness.com, but also in person at their fitness academy. I reviewed their programs in the past and I was so impressed that I'm now an affiliate of theirs, meaning that if you purchase their programs, use the code TENNISNERD, you will get 10% off your program purchase and a small commission goes to TENNISNERD. In this episode, we talk about how players on all levels can improve their fitness and what makes a player like Leighton Hewitt stand out when it comes to endurance and movement on court i hope you like this podcast check out martin method at tennisfitness.com and tennis nerd at tennisnerd.net. so how have you been uh, during this uh, weird quarantine life oh you know, just to be honest we haven't had had too much of a, it hasn't been too much of a difference for us really um, we predominantly work from home now so we we have our like a custom built office um, we've got our gymnasium at home, and we've got a like a mini tennis court. So yeah, we we don't get many players to come and see us anymore. We we predominantly do everything online, so it hasn't been too bad. If anything, initially we were very like probably 30% busier than we normally are. Um, Giselle and I are all about lifestyle and and having the right balance. So we could we could be twice as busy as we are but it'll affect our lifestyle too much so we we do i wouldn't say we turn a, a lot of work away but we just don't let ourselves get in a situation where we're constantly chasing um things for people and programming for people and we manage it very well so yeah it was it's been a, it has been an interesting time we've really tried to help as many people as we can through um, you know through the journey and it's obviously you know it's a first of our generation so trying to understand what people can and can't do and where people are at mentally as well is, is has been very important yeah I must put a lot of players def- different levels of course um, in front of a new challenge because it's so partly I mean mental strength and fitness to kind of cope with being stuck inside when you're used to being on court uh, in most cases. and But there's also that, uh, you know, daily fitness. How do you stay fit when you can't? Yes. I mean, in some cases, they haven't been able to leave their homes. Uh, I mean, in, in Malta, where, where I live, we've been lucky enough to be able to go out for a jog. You know, the gyms have been closed, but mm. at least you can do your your outside workout uh, still. Mm. So uh, we've been a bit lucky in that oh. sense. Well, mate, that's a very good point you bring up because... I think it's made everybody realise how important sport is to is to us. Um, you know, particularly people that participate in sport, but also people that watch sport. Um, how much it's in, entrenched in our lifestyles, almost almost in our DNA. Um, you know, we love watching it. Most people love playing it and and exercising as well. You're you're exactly right. Like the fact that a lot of people have been really restricted especially initially with what they could do it's it it had a we were getting feedback from people um about what we were the 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 points we were putting out into our community and the programs and the exercises to try and support people that were in restricted situations and we got a lot of feedback from people saying that you know it really 
help them get through the days and um, normally we our feedback is orientated around how can I do this better and how can I move better on court etc but the feedback we started to get was this is just helping me stay sane that I can still exercise within my own home it's it's it, it saved me from you know feeling down and, and getting depressed and so that really encouraged us to to do more of it and and to really try to support as many people as we can because it um, everyone's in different situations in life and some people um, you know loneliness is is I think one of the most horrible things that anyone has to go through and if, if you know you're lonely through this period of time of uncertainty it's it's quite scary so you know, if we could keep people motivated, keep people doing something, then that gives them a, a routine and then, you know, they're going to put themselves in a much better position. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, how different is it from how you usually work with players? Do you have players coming to your facility? Uh, yeah, we do. So we we manage, so people either sort of buy online, we work predominantly online now, so people either buy our programs online and they're like... Um, you know, people can just purchase them and, and follow them themselves. And I mean, these are programs that you've used yourself and that you also um, encourage your community to, to look at doing. Um, so we thank you for that, mate. You've, you've been a fantastic um, partner of ours. And yes, yeah, so we've got that option for people. So initially, we when, when COVID first broke and we realised people were going to be heavily restricted to, you know, um, where they could go, but they're predominantly, you know, global. I think most people were in their, their home lockdown. So we quickly put a program together that people could do uh, at home on their own in a small space. And we basically combined um, programs from other programs and we put them together and we thought, okay, yep, this can be done in a small space. And then we created some other programs to, to put in as well and we created our Total Tennis Home Workout. So we had a lot, a lot of people purchase that over a six-week period, and that was fantastic. And uh, but but people coming to our house, obviously, we had to stop that for for about six weeks, um, which, which was okay. And look, we also run tennis camps, so people will come and stay with us in our in our house. We have like a very big house. And we have it set up so we have separate quarters so we have where we live and then we have uh, an area where guests can stay and we can house up to six people so um, people will come and stay with us they eat with us we train in the day they play tennis um, at a court close by and then we do a lot of work shopping as well around um, you know areas that we feel they need to focus on so areas of priority for the small group or for an individual so we obviously had to stop that as well um, but we noticed we started to do a lot more programming online which is an area where we're getting into now a little bit more heavily so we will provide specific programs for players mainly players that want to play at a high level or are looking to get more out of themselves that have time to train between four to six times a week we put together like specific programs for that person individually so we, we noticed we started to do a lot more of that sort of work over the last few months how long have you been involved in tennis fitness and uh, what's what's your background in the sport 
it's funny because I've done in the last two weeks, I think I've done about ten podcasts. So I've had done, I've been interviewed about <laughs> ten times, and it oh, it's wow. really made me start stop and think um, about our journey because where Giselle and I are all about respect for the past and you know obviously gratitude for the moments that we're in but you know we we always like to look back at our journey and and the people who have contributed to to us in a positive way um, and that sort of helps us do the same for other people is to reach out and help where we can so look our journey started out uh, in, in the late 90s um, Giselle started working with the rancher Sanchez Vicario and she was I think top five in the world at the time and Giselle and I were dating at the time and um, I hadn't actually done any work with tennis players but Giselle had and, and we were both massage therapists as well so Giselle was massaging a rancher and also training her and then they offered me a role in uh, Sanchez Gasol Academy in in Barcelona, which at the time was, was probably one of the best tennis academies in the world. So I went over there and I was the physical director there for two years. So I learned obviously a lot. It was a big growth period for me. And I stayed there until I think 2002. And then I started traveling on the tour, um, working with players from, from that moment on. And Giselle and I did that for, for three years um, full time. And we lived in America, we lived in Europe, and so then eventually we, we moved back to Australia. And, uh, you know, in our time on the tour, we worked with, um, in the early years, Martina Navratilova, Jennifer Capriati, Monica Sellers, um, Svetlana Kuznetsova, and obviously Rancher Sanchez Vicario. And then um, when when we sort of thought it was time to, to move back to Australia and get married and uh, the travelling on the tour, it, it can be quite challenging. Initially, it's good and, you know, we were in our mid to late 20s during that period. So we, we loved it. We loved travelling around, going to all the big tournaments, helping players, learning a lot. But then we got to a point and we wanted to look at start to get married and, and, and start a family. So... We moved back to Australia and uh, we basically just started training tennis players in Australia um, and then we would often go on tour as well with, with players so we'd probably do maybe 15 weeks a year on tour still and then we'd do the rest of the time back home in Australia um, working with uh, you know guys like I was with Leighton Hewitt for 10 years because I was working with Samantha Stosa and Casey Delacqua and a lot of sort of other lower ranked players and then uh, over the course of a 10 year period we 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 loved that uh, it was great to be back home and we started our family and we set up a very good facility in in sydney in australia that we worked out of and then we decided uh, we wanted to work more with junior development because we could see a very big gap in the in the tennis world where young players in Australia just didn't have enough idea of um, what it takes to reach the top or what it takes to to be your best physically. And it became probably more so a passion of mine than Giselle's. Um, Giselle still, you know, at the time loved working with the professional players. 
and I, you know, and then Giselle later on, we both just decided to take it quite serious. And that's really predominantly what we're doing now is we're running our online business, but we we work with everybody. Um, but in particular, my passion is working with, with players sort of 12 years and above. Um, and not only sort of working on their the tennis physicality side of things, but also just mentoring, like, helping them develop as a person, not only as a player. And we combine the two of those things together and, and we get fantastic results. That's very nice to hear. I mean, I can understand it. It's, uh, it's there's a lot of challenges in, uh, you know, building a young person in general in, in life, but also for, uh, for a professional mm. tennis background or perhaps just playing tennis on, on college level or or rec level um what do you have a very personalized approach or you're trying uh, or you have like a program that you you're set up to work with i mean how how different is each each person in each case when it comes to this tennis fitness yeah so like i said before we we offer um a couple of different options for people they can buy like our program online that they just go ahead and buy it and follow it themselves and we have like a junior program, we have an over 40s program, we have a high performance program. So we've got a range of programs that people can 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 check out and follow on them themselves. And then we also have um, personalised programs, and we call that our online tennis fitness academy. So the way that works is someone would um, contact us, we would get them to fill out some forms online, so we get some more information on them like their age, any injuries, um, how much they hit, what what are their goals, all those sorts of areas. And then we have a Zoom call with them. And then from there, we put some tests together. And we use this state-of-the-art software called Visual Coaching Pro. And it's basically, imagine like a programming app. So you'd open up your phone, you open up your calendar, you click on your day and your program comes up and you have video content, you have co- written content and I can make notes in, in there for players and at the end of a session we get people to fill out like a diary um, through the software so they just put in how they're feeling, how was the session, how's their body, how did they sleep. So we get what we call some biofeedback so we can track the player as well. Um, and we find that we have those options for people that we're pretty much covering pretty much everyone that wants help um, in you know with their tennis fitness or their strength and conditioning. So we, we wanted to provide something for everybody, um, and we find that offering the online programs does that, and then also offering the online tennis fitness academy, which is either individual programs we can cover everybody that, that needs some support. When you've worked with uh, pro players in the past, how, how different has that been from working with, with other players? How, how specific are you know their setup for what kind of fitness they need to do and how long are their sessions and so on? Very good question. So we just, we just finished a podcast, recording a podcast series which uh, I'd love for you to, to listen to and, and give me some feedback on, actually. So we interviewed um, Leighton Hewitt, Patrick Rafter, Samantha Stosa and Casey Delacqua. And they're all players that... Um, we hadn't done much work with Pat, but the other three players 
we'd worked with for a long time and, and Pat that we know very well. And when we were going through the process of, of doing the podcast with them and also obviously doing the, the recordings, we had the opportunity to go back and realise how hard that these athletes train when we're working with them. And, yeah, com- comparing them to the level of players in junior development coming through, there's obviously a lot of physical difference because... You know, you can't compare a 14-year-old athlete to a 27-year-old Leighton Hewitt. But what you can compare is the the growth and the development of their attitude, um, their passion and their commitment and their work ethic. And that's one thing that we look at over rather how somebody is actually performing. We look at the level of commitment that they're putting into the work because if someone's not performing at um, the highest level for their age compared to other players but the commitment's there, the attitude's right and they're working as hard as they can, we know that eventually they're going to become the best athlete they can be and they probably will end up overtaking a lot of players. So, you know, the players at the highest level work extremely hard um, and I remember when I was interviewing Patrick Rafter he got coached I'm sure you know who Tony Roach is so yeah. Tony was a professional player and then he worked with um, you know Ivan Landor he's worked with a lot of players and Roger Federer and he worked with Leighton Hewitt for a long time and Pat asked Tony one day you know, how do I compare to all the players you've worked with, like to Roger Federer? And he said to Pat, he said, you make Roger Federer look lazy and Ivan Lendl makes you look lazy. (laughs) So, you know, even at that highest level, and obviously Roger's, you know, obviously one of the best players of all time, um, and Lendl was obviously a great player and obviously so was Pat as well, but even at that level, there's still a level of intensity and, and work ethic as well, which, you know, Ivan obviously needed that with his game. Roger, not so much because he's obviously, you know, super talented. Um, but, there, yeah, that, that's, that's, there's, there's a big difference working from with, with high-end professional players and then working with younger players. But one area I'd love to encourage everybody to try to improve every session is how much you can get out of your body because it's very important and one of the first things we try to do with any athlete that we work with is try to get them to understand how hard their body and how far their body actually can go because if we can get them to realize that then automatically we're going to get them to move quicker we're going to get them to move better we're going to get them to push themselves more which is going to have um, a positive response as when they rest and recover, their body's going to develop more. So when when we can get people to realise that, then we start to get big gains automatically rather than just getting them to do certain exercises that look fantastic, but if they're not doing them at 100%, we're not going to get as much out of them as if we're getting them to do a simple exercise but getting them to do it at 100%. So that's my advice 
you know, a big piece of advice today to anybody listening to this is, you know, when you're when you're training, um, you need to work. Depending on what the session is, um, if it's movement based, so any agility or running, endurance or conditioning, you need to make sure that you're you know you're pushing yourself to the point where it feels uncomfortable. And if you can do that regularly and you do it consistently, you're going to get fantastic results. If you can't, you're probably going to move very slowly forward. Um, and this is an area that we, we work on a lot with young players. Uh, and we do this initially through just fitness testing or getting them to do certain exercises using a stopwatch, so timing them to do drills. Um, as soon as someone pulls a, a stopwatch out and says, okay, you're going to do this drill, I see how fast you can do it. If they're competing against somebody else, then all of a sudden they start working hard and then we have the opportunity to say, see how you feel now? And they're really, it, it's hurting, but they, they went as hard as they can. That's what I need from you every session. This is the, this is the, this is the work ethic that I need you to bring to the court or to the training environment every session. How, how important is that is building that mental strength and that kind of um, dedication to the task, with, especially with young players? I mean, with Leighton, you have a, an, an absolute beast who, who seemed to be able to put in like 110% every time. But I guess it, it's very different with each player. You have a guy like Kyrgios maybe who would not be as... Uh, I guess as keen to go to the gym or, or do the fitness drills uh, on a certain day. Uh, how, how do you work with kind of the mental approach to to fitness and to putting in the work? Yeah. Well, look, let, let's talk about Leighton. The the longer I trained him, the more I realised he wasn't he wasn't a normal human being. And what I mean by that is his greatest physical attribute. In my opinion, after working with him for 10 years, everyone thought it was his speed and his endurance and, and those things he was exceptional at. But his ability to work hard and wake up the next day and work hard again was I've never seen anybody before him and I've never seen anybody after him be able to do on a daily base, basis what he could do. And I think it for him was a combination of his mindset and his ability to be able to absorb pain, like physical pain, was extremely high, like crazy. Um, and I think that combined with his body, his body composition, his father was a very good athlete and his mother was a very good athlete. And I work with his son now, Cruz, and Cruz is 11, uh, 12. And he has the same physical attributes as his father. So he has the capacity to be able to have a high workload more than a lot of other kids that would get injured or they would drop off. And Cruz has the ability to stay at a higher level so he can hit longer, he can hit at a higher intensity, wake up the next day and he can do it again. And that's it's a, it's a, a very, obviously, um, fantastic physical gift. So I think Leighton had that and he had the mindset that he could absorb a lot of physical pain. And I saw him, he was, you know, I'm 45 now, but when Leighton, I first started training him, I was 
in my early 30s and I was extremely fit myself. And I knew what when someone was hurting because if it was hurting me, I knew it would be hurting them. And he never, ever would show you that it was hurting him. I would ask him, how do you feel? He goes, this is really hard, like it, it's hurting, but you wouldn't know. And it's the, the, the mindset, going back to your question, the mindset is, it's very important. Like there's a, some, uh, one of my online friends um, is Anthony, a guy called Anthony Ross from Mentally Tough Tennis. And he's an Australian guy, he's a sports psychologist, and he specialises in tennis. Now, I was talking to Anthony last year, and I said to him, how important do you consider physical training and, and, and tennis training and mental training? And he said something to me which I've, I believe and I encourage people to follow as well. He said, I think if we split them up into three... I think they're all just as important as each other. He said, because one doesn't work without the other, and if one's dominating the other two, it's we're not going to end up in a good place where we could be. So, you know, if we combine someone that has a very good um, mental resilience and a very positive attitude, we combine them with, you know, the ability to be able to train hard and do the right training, and then we throw in the on-court training and practice as well, and they have a good coach and they're doing everything well there, we're going to produce a fantastic athlete. If we have someone that just has a good coach and he's very good on-court in practice, we're, and we're, miss, we're not doing the other two areas, well, we're not going to get the best result we can. So, you know, the mental side of training is an area that a lot of players don't work on because they feel like, well, how do I do it? Where do I go? And what, what do I do? And I encourage people to, to may even potentially look at Mentally Tough Tennis online, um, unless, Jonas, you've probably got people as well that you refer to um, and, and you can let people know who that they are. It, uh, look, I think... For players of any level, they're going to get so much gain out of understanding, first of all, who they are as a tennis player, how they operate, like what triggers them, what, what are their mental weaknesses, and then to get some strategies to um, combat those and also to help them you know, um, be more resilient on court, be more positive with themselves. And everybody's different, so you need to... You know, there's so many different resources online around this space, but I think I always encourage people, look, go and get half a dozen, so six consults with a tennis-specific um, mental coach. And generally after six consults, you, you're going to need, you're going to know um, enough about yourself and you're going to have some strategies to, to, to use that will benefit you from ever. So it's a small investment for something that you're going to have for a lifetime. And look, I, I highly encourage people to, to look into that area. And, you know, I was writing a blog yesterday on, um, on our podcasts that are coming out. And I basically put in this one, one section I put in the podcast was talking about professional players and saying, look, these people have feelings, 
they have needs, so they, they need family, they need social interaction. They're just humans like us. They're just exceptionally good at playing tennis. And all the time, they're not walking around, you know, 24-7, 365 days a year, super confident. You know, they have a lot of insecurities and they have a lot of doubts. And, you know, they are constantly working through those themselves, whether they utilise sports psychologists or they work it out themselves with their coach. But every single player at some point in their career, and some players a lot more than others, and I can guarantee you that a lot of players in even the top 10, they do a lot of work in this space. They've either been through some very hard processes, or they're still going through them, or they're still battling through things from time to time. But every player would have times where they you know, their confidence isn't right or they're struggling with something in matches. And that's just the, 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 the part of tennis that people need to look at and work on. It's such a complex game and you're in an environment on your own. You're in an arena with one other person competing. So getting that area right, it's, it's very powerful. Yeah, and it can also kind of benefit your life in as a whole i think yeah, i mean obviously being mentally tough on court can teach you a lot of things about being mentally tough outside the court i think that's um oh, one of the things so that's very true. important for, for people to work on you know so, uh, true. so i mean when you're working <clears throat> you talked about leighton and his uh, amazing ability to kind of uh, regroup and refocus after each session and go at it with the same kind of intensity over and over again which which really is the kind of key to to at least fitness mm. success how important is, is kind of injury prevention? And I mean, some people's bodies are, are I mean, more prone yeah. to breaking down and, and you see some players get injured over and over again, different things, and it's it's very unsettling at times. How can you work with that and with young players and, you know, with pros to, to kind of prevent injuries? Because it seems to be like there's a trend on an increase in injuries in tennis, uh, yeah. whether that's the speed or the different equipment or other things mm. uh, on the sport that's changing. But uh, what's your take on that? Well, look, if we're, we're going to be quite broad to answer your question, so like I'll give you like a bit of a general answer because um, there's a lot of aspects that prevent injuries. But in my opinion, the two most, well, I'll categorise them in two um, areas. So the first one is flexibility and mobility. So I combine those two together. And the second category would be strength training so if we if you think about it like this we have a body that that can move we have multiple joints in the body that can move through um, muscle contractions okay so generally in tennis the bulk of injuries that occur are through either a um, degeneration, so like someone like Andy Murray with his with his hip and his back, it was a lot of wear and tear, just loading and putting pressure into the joint. Okay, so what helps with this, we know, is having a strong, robust body. The second way play, that plays a, a, the biggest area, uh, the biggest um, cause of injuries is overuse. Overuse injuries only occur when we get fatigued or 
we don't have enough strength, say overhead hitting a serve or doing a over a, overhead backhand smash. You know, overuse injuries occur through a lack of strength, lack of flexibility and mobility. So we know that if we can strengthen athletes up and we can get them mobile and and more flexible, we're going to prevent a lot of injuries. So, you know, flexibility and mobility, it's first of all analysing where you are carrying a lot of your tension. So what parts of your body are you tight in? And then getting a, a program together around that. Now, that could mean... We encourage people to follow a mobility routine in the morning or before they train or practice on court. So mobility is more about moving your body. It's about, you know, things like squatting, rotating, swinging your arms. But more specifically than that, it's almost just like trying to mimic certain movements that you're going to be doing while you play tennis. And that's just opening up what we call a kinetic chain. So it's like a a chain of movement. So we encourage that pre-practice or pre-training or worst case, as soon as people get up in the morning and then they'll do their mobility. Then almost just like think of it like, um, like a moving yoga. Then at night, we encourage people to do static stretching. So it's trying to elongate the muscle out, stretch the muscle out again, um, and have it prepared for the next day. So those two combined, we find we get very good results at keeping the muscle at a healthy range and keeping the joints nice and open and and all the muscles around them um, doing what we need them to do. And when we talk about strength training, We encourage people of any age to do at least two sessions a week. So if you're a 10-year-old athlete, your training would be predominantly body weight exercises. If you're 14 and above, if you've come through a pathway from as a 10-year-old and you get to 14, you should be able to start lifting some kind of load, whether it's a medicine ball, a light dumbbell, things along those lines. And then obviously from there we start moving up to using you know more dumbbells and heavier weights, um, etc. And that just helps to um, make the body more robust. The stronger the body, the more robust it's going to be. The more it's going to be able to withstand, and the more it's going to help with the endurance of the of muscle strength. So those areas combined, we find are the best ways to prevent injuries. And we also encourage people to follow once a week, like an injury prevention program. Um, So most players we know struggle with shoulder injury. Like there's tennis players get injuries everywhere, but predominantly they're um, shoulder injuries, lower back injuries and knee injuries. So if you're doing a program even if you don't have an issue in those areas we still set programs for our players that we work with online once a week at least if they're not injury prone they'll do it once if they are injury prone we'll we'll get them to do it twice and depending on their body type and and if they have had any pre-existing injuries we would structure the program around that but if someone um, wanted like a generic program we would you would target those areas, so shoulders, lower back and knees. And we find that if we hit those three areas, we're going to eliminate 
a lot of potential injuries. It's almost just like what we call prehab, so an injury prevention program. And we find that combining the flexibility, mobility, the strength training, and the injury prevention program that we really restrict a lot of injuries occurring. Yeah, I can. I mean, that sounds like a really logical um, approach to it. Do you think it's it's difficult for rec players? I mean, I see it all the time when I, I head out to the court that the p- people are not generally, you know, on, on pretty much all levels and warming up as they should. I mean, that seems to be a, a general issue in, in tennis. 100%. 100%. And look, it depends on the seriousness, how serious the player is. Um, and and education. I mean, what's a good warm-up? You know, it's it's everyone will tell you something different. And let's break it down like this. So you're 14 years old. You you get three lessons a week. You get to your lesson. You have an hour and a half. Um, you you finish school. You get home. You quickly get ready. You, you, your parents drive you to the tennis court, and your lessons at 4 p.m. And you get there at 3:55, and you want to spend as much time hitting balls as you can. So the warm-up's going to be almost non-existent or very rushed. And it depends on the coach. If the coach is like, you need to prepare your body, go through your warm-up. But a lot of the times, this doesn't happen. They just get on. You start hitting from the service line, playing sort of mini tennis for a minute. Then you move back a little bit. Then you go on the baseline. You hit down the middle. And then the coach goes, okay, we're going to work on this. And that's the warm-up. So there's been no mobility. There's been no sort of activation of certain areas. And the player is 100% more prone to injury than an athlete that has spent 10 or 15 minutes going through an effective warm-up. And also, how much more will you get out of your body if your body is better prepared? I mean, I think everybody knows the answer to that. So it's making sure you can create the time and dedicate the time to warm-up and find a warm-up program that is going to work effectively for you because everybody is different. I mean, when I work with players, like I would warm Leighton Hewitt up totally different than I warmed up Martina Navratilova. Um, Leighton's was high intensity. We built the intensity up. He did his mobility. He he would be sweating in his warm-up. And then we would do boxing as well. Um, as his warm-up, and he would love that, get him moving his feet, get him hitting the focus pads. You know, I'd push the pad, the pads at him, I'd, I'd push him around, and he, he felt like he was walking into to a fight after doing that, and that, that he loved that. But not everyone would, would suit that. So it's finding what works for a player. Um, you know, we have warm-up programs for players, particularly for junior players, and they're, they're highly effective. Because we've learned over time, okay, we need to create a program that takes 8 to 12 minutes. And the players need to watch the video. And then all of a sudden, they get to the point where they can memorize the video. And they know how to do everything. And that's when they can get, they can make it shorter. Because they just go, okay, next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing. And they have it organized. So I'll quickly explain to you how I feel 
of warm-up should be conducted. So step one would be to raise your core body temperature. So that would involve basically running around the court, um, adding in multi-directional movement. So running around, doing some side shuffles, doing some backward running, and then you want to do that for two minutes and slowly build the intensity up. Every 30 seconds, you're running faster and moving faster. After that, you jump onto a skipping, you go jump rope on a, with the skipping rope, and I encourage people to do 200 jumps. And if you're good enough, you start to add in some variations to the skipping. So jumping on one foot, jumping on two feet, doing some split steps, um, adding in variations. After this, your core temperature should be um, high enough and you almost want to feel like you're out of breath at this point after the skipping. So then we go straight into some mobility, okay? So your body's warm and we go in and we do between five to seven mobility exercises that are specific for tennis. They take the most time out of the warm-up, but also what we're doing in that time is the mobility exercises we encourage players to do. We're actually switching on certain parts of the body. So we're switching on, we're almost exciting certain muscles in the body to want to wanna work. So once you finish the mobility component of the warm-up, then you can add in some specific dynamic movements like some fast lateral shuffles, some short sprints, and we only probably do that for one minute. And then after that, you'd get your tennis racket, and this for me is an extremely important part. You would do three sets of 10 repetitions of shadowing. So you're either on the court, the back of the court, or wherever you can go and find space. And I want you to imagine you're playing a match and you're going to hit 10 shots in a point. So the first 10 shots you're going to hit, you're going to be moving and swinging and rotating at 70% intensity. Then you'd have a short rest of 10 to 15 seconds. Then you would do another 10 shots, adding in some serving as well. And the intensity would go from 70, okay, um, up to 80 or 90%. Then you'd have a short rest and then you would finish off doing 10 shots at 100%. And by the time you finish that, that warm-up process with the 10 shots at 100% at the end, in my opinion, you're 100% ready to walk on court and, and practice and play. Yeah, and that's a great uh, advice. I think a lot of uh, players should you really think about warm-up as warming up your body you know that, that's you describe you need to kind of get the heart rate up and you need to get the body a bit sweating to really get um warmed up so to avoid at least the most you know plain stuff from from injuries and, and things um well, do you have any other tips you can give to to rec players i'm actually about to soon hit out hit uh, drive out to the tennis court myself and i'm gonna warm up uh, <laughs> so uh but do you have any kind of finishing tips you want to give to, to rec players or, or information on how to, to find you and more information about your courses? Sure. So Jonas, one thing I think, when when you look at tennis athletes, and I'm talking any level, so we'll talk about recreation players, we've talked a bit about pros and, and younger players. Um, a lot of it for recreational players, the passion's there, but you, a lot of people are working full-time. They might be playing some small weekend tournaments and they're just like, 
I just don't have enough time to be able to play enough and train enough to get as good as I want. Okay, and that's that's normal, first of all. Um, so how can we combat that? Because a lot of people, it comes down to either time or finances. So let's talk about, first of all, time. So we know that a player is going to get themselves to a court a few times a week to either practice or play. So what I encourage people to do if, you, if you're time restricted is to think, okay, well, look, you're already going to be at the court. If you get to the court at 4, 3.55 and you're playing at 4 o'clock, you need to do a warm-up. So that's why if you've done your mobility in the morning, your body will still be loose enough from doing that. So you get to the court and you need to still go through some kind of a quick, brief warm-up to prepare your body. Okay, so say you finish your match or you finish your lesson, then to save yourself time going home or finding another time to train, quickly do something for 20 minutes at the end of a lesson or at the end of a, of, of a match. And that could be various things, depending on how you are as an athlete, what areas you need to focus on. Everybody thinks they need to, to move quicker and they need to do agility training. But the fact is, if you get your body stronger, your agility is going to improve automatically. So if you can do some kind of um, strength training at the end of a tennis lesson, um, you know, some lunges, some squats, um, use some resistance bands, those sorts of things. If you can do that once or twice a week, and, and then you can also add some movement training into that so you, we can, you can create some kind of a circuit. So that's just going to help save you time. If, if players do have time to, to follow some kind of a program, they can go to our website, um, tennisfitness.com, and click on our online programs. We have programs there for, for everybody, and, you know, you can utilise those programs. And, you know, talking about finances for people, look, we understand it, it can be challenging. You, you're playing for a coach and you're playing for court usage, and then you've got to pay for a trainer, and that's why we created these programs, and we've made them as cost-effective as we can. Once you learn how to do certain things and how to follow a program, then you've you've been educated, and and you can you can then go off and say, this makes me feel really good when I do it. So I'm going to do it at the end of a tennis lesson or at the end of a match, once a week, and I'm going to do this at the end of the match once a week. And that's going to help recreational players, um, A, feel better about themselves because they're doing a little bit extra, and B, it's going to boost your performance. So they would be my simple, what we call, walk-away tips. If you haven't got time to do a long warm-up, do at least five to ten minutes, and then at least two to three times a week, do some form of other training. You only need to do 20 to 30 minutes and it will totally change how you feel and how you play on court. Yeah, it sounds like great advice. It's something I'm trying to incorporate into my sessions because I was also some years back um, getting to the court way too late and not preparing properly and not putting in perhaps the work afterwards, even though I was going to the gym. In between tennis, you could also add more kind of tennis-related exercises or at least make sure you warm up and warm down properly yeah. um, so that the body is more in tune you know around tennis I think that's very important advice and you don't need a lot of time or to do it you just need to to kind of plan your time a bit better 
All right, Nathan. I'm I'm sorry, but I'm I'm uh, I have a tennis session booked actually. Well, we like can do a- it again, no problem. Before I go, I just wanted to encourage everybody. Look, we we love what we do, and we will try to give people as much free advice as we can. So please email us, go to our website, let us know that you're part of um, Jonas's community, and we will help you out as much as we can. We think what you you Jonas you do. We think you're highly professional. We love, um, you know, the content that you put out into the tennis community and we love your positive attitude. So, you know, that's why I wanted to give my time today to, you know, to, to speak with you. So, you know, to the people who are following Jonas, keep doing it. He's doing a great job and you're in very good hands with him. Thanks a lot, Nathan. I'm really, I really appreciate it. And same to you guys. You do a great job. I, I really enjoy following your programs. It helps helped me a lot to, to move better and be more professional around my, you know, tennis playing activities. So I really, really have no problem urging people to actually take up some programs or at least be more focused on on their their yeah. fitness. It really helps. Uh, so hopefully we can do this again. Uh, I also yes. want to talk about food and stuff, but I think we we should do maybe get another session yeah. in. When you have time, I know you're a busy no man problem. as well, so we'll, we'll work um, it out. And you, you have a, make sure you have a good hit on court, mate, and uh, we'll we'll be in, we'll be in uh, touch with each other soon. For sure, for sure. All the best to Giselle and and uh, your kids, and um, have a nice day and and take care. Thank you very much. All right, bye, mate. Bye. Talk soon. Ciao, ciao. Bye.